Welcome to the show. I'm Mikey. And it's your girl Zay Day. We are two social justice warriors dedicated to dismantling systems of oppression through a black, black queer, queer feminist lens. Feminist lens. Yes, this podcast will cover a variety of topics ranging from politics in our country to which new bop you can twerk to. Hey. <laughs> yep. And while we're twerking, y'all can start following. Search Black to the Future on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join in the conversation. And don't forget to leave positive reviews for us on your streaming platforms. Yes, please leave positive reviews. With the reach of this podcast, we desire to change the world one episode at a time. Yep, and I think it's time we get started, don't you think? Yep, let's get it! The The past past is gone, gone. the present present is an adventure. adventure. Looks like it's time to to go go black to the future. future. Cue the theme music. (laughs) Yeah. episode of Black to the Future podcast. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We are back, back, back again. And I have a lovely guest, which I've been trying to pin down, but they gotta be busy. I don't know. They have stuff to do, apparently. I, I guess I will have no life. But today I have a lovely guest who I've been trying to get a hold of, and I'm so happy that they are here. I have with me the amazing Brendan Watts, who is an executive director of Trans People of Color Coalition. Woo! You don't sound excited. (laughs) Very monotone, sorry. It's okay. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you. Be here. Oh, you don't have to worry about being monotone. I, I, most of the time, most people are just kind of like, what do I say at the beginning? I've never, and I, I personally like interviewing those people who have like never like done interviews and stuff like that because they're like regular people, air quotes still. <laughs> like they're not like, I'm famous and I have millions of thousands of followers. And I'm just like, okay, now what? But anyway, right. <laughs> um, can you please tell us, Brendan, what's your, um, pronouns are and your identity as far as sexuality if you want to share that just so folks can know you a little bit better okay um my pronouns are he him his <laughs> my gender is i 
man of trans experience. Ah, I love that man of trans experience. And people going to be like, what you mean? You know, very bad. That's... <laughs> Um, so obviously, uh, we've talked, we've had trans masculine people on the show before, um, the episode was here, um, with Zeke Williams. Y'all go back and, and even my brother, go back and listen, because, you know, we have to have these perspectives and they're super duper important. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> you acted all shy now. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> just before this, you were telling me about your lovely cats and all the things that you do, and now you just like, I don't want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what I would like to ask, what we always ask at the very beginning of every episode is, how is your Blackness? How are you as a Black person? Um, I'm pretty good while maintaining as a Black person. Mm-hmm. I'm trying uh survive as a black person in this pandemic and mm-hmm. security food security all that good stuff um i'm doing good doing good you gotta stay motivated very, very that very that and i appreciate you telling us um about how you feel as a black person especially in the middle of the pwn replay because i'm over it I'm I'm very far past it on the last episode. Well, no, not the last episode. A few episodes ago, by the time this comes out. <laughs> I done had some complaints. The new year, like, y'all, if y'all not gonna get vaccinated, fine, girl. I'm not trying to bend your arm about it. We already talked about how Black people are apprehensive about the, the, um, the vaccine and stuff. But at least wear the mask, girl. Right. <laughs> Protect yourself at least. At least, like goodness gracious. But anyway, we not gonna t- we're not gonna harp about Miss Rona and her, you know, her child uh Delta variant and her grandchild <laughs> um Omaria. We're not gonna talk about them right now. Right. <laughs> but um so I really wanted to read this because I really like this. This is on the website because I like things that say things that are a really official sounder. So it says that you quote Working with different kinds of people is a way for me to reach my people and help bridge the gap between my communities, people of color and trans slash queer people. I see that I see that people can become more open minded. I've seen that pe- I've seen people treat others differently after they learn new information and their language and mindset change. It's a process. Woof. Sounds like my rhetoric. So can you tell us, like, um, and kind of like the main function of like this entire podcast, really, can you tell us like kind of where that stems from and like how you kind of got to that place? Okay. Um, well, I started transitioning in 2011. Oh. And at that time, I was working at a men's prison in Baltimore City. Oh. Um, <laughs> a lot of people in my in my environment were very ignorant of what trans people who trans people were mm-hmm. what we like and everything else. So when I started my transition, I had a lot of pushback. Um I even had, you know, derogatory things happen, you know, people would say things, people would just like go out of their way mm-hmm. to imply things in front of me and I got to the point where I wanted to educate people mm-hmm. because I was already already doing activism work 
with T-Pac as soon as I started transitioning. Mm-hmm. I took that knowledge into the jail and I started educating my coworkers. Um, they doing their uh, pronouns with me. They worked on their names. Some of even the, the inmates locked up. They was like, I called my girlfriend and told her to look this up for me. <laughs> so it was just funny in a way how the same people that were so negative and pushed back so much went home and studied it. Respected mm-hmm. me enough and they heard me, you know, and I advocated for myself. Mm-hmm. That's because I felt like I was the only one. But people that grew up in the same environment as me worked with me in these jails mm. or inmates in these jails. And for me to communicate, give them the language to use, I correct people if they misgender uh, trans inmates. Mm-hmm. You know, people will call me mm-hmm. and say, hey, I don't know where to house this person or how should I address this inmate? Uh, when I go to their cell and I tell them, I was like, ask them what their pronouns are, mm-hmm. ask them how they want to be identified. And if they want to be in protective custody, put them in protective custody mm-hmm. for the reasons. So it's just the, uh, being a voice. Sometimes we don't even have to be visible because sometimes I'm not visible as a trans person. Mm-hmm. I still make it my business to put out the right information about trans people when there's the false rhetoric going on. So it's just that communication. People that I never thought, and some people were like, now meeting you, I look at the world differently. Mm -hmm. They they understand like, they'll, they'll slip up sometimes and then they'll think and they'll correct themselves with other trans people. talking about them and things like that. So it's just that conversation and also just being being yourself is brave enough, mm-hmm. but speaking for yourself is even braver. Mm-hmm. I, and, and especially in a black community, mm-hmm. because it is different for black people. They still look at us like we're doing some weird things, you mm-hmm. know? And, and my grandmother, if I tell people, if my grandmother, who's about to be 80, can call me her grandson, call me Brendan, mm-hmm. eat him, then I don't understand why it's so hard for anyone else. That part. So that's that's just, I, I've just had experiences at work in my family. You know, even my family members have advocated for me. Mm-hmm other family members have came to them and my family member, my aunt have said, go ask him. You can talk to him. He's open about talking about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that that platform and that voice that my family has given me. Because mm-hmm. told me, like, this is the life that you chose to do and, you know, you gotta be strong in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and after, when they said that, they didn't even understand what was going on but they just knew this was going to be a hard struggle for me mm-hmm. if this is what I truly say I needed to be then you know I have to stand my ground in my journey mm. Ooh, okay you got 
<laughs> See, I tried to drag you at the beginning. Like, he not going to talk now. But, like, he done just gave this whole thing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, first of all, like, you just, like, starting with just, like, yeah, I, I worked in in the prison. I was just, like, Urgh! like, I wish y'all could have seen my face. Like, it was a mouth agape, all of it. So, um, I want to really um, applaud you and commend you on the the work that you really kind of didn't have to do to educate people about what it means to be a trans person in context, especially within like being a black person. So I really applaud you on that because I think a lot of cishet people, particularly cishet black people, want you to try to overly and constantly explain what it is to them, who you are and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, nothing's really changed. I'm still the same person. The exterior may look a little different, but for the most part, the core principles of who I am are still instilled within me. So, you know, you never really lose me, technically. And that's what I told all my friends during during my transition. I was like, I'm still the same friend that you've always had. It's just the outer appearance is just different. My confidence is different. Mm-hmm. Inner is different. But I'm still that true person. Exactly. And and I'm glad that you said that because that's so important because I think a lot of people who do listen to our show are always kind of like, how do we begin to have these conversations? How do we even begin to talk about it? How do we even begin to conceptualize uh, doing these things? So it's great to be able to hear from other people's perspective. Like, yeah, just begin having the conversation it only feels uncomfortable because we don't have the knowledge and the access to those kind of things. And now we have these these little rectangles in our hands all the goddamn time. Like, start Googling some shit. <laughs> start right, looking right. some stuff up and start going, oh, look, this is what this means. And, like, look it up from reliable, credible sources. And I also mm-hmm. think that um, the way our education system is set up is that, you know, we want to get that kind of information from people who have like lived that experience or whatever the case may be. So it's like, you teach me something and it's like, great, that's fantastic. I can do that, but that we know that teaching is a labor. It's, um, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort. And it's like, I have, like some people, I think like the two of us don't have much problem being like, oh, this is what this is. This is how this goes and da, 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 and taking time to explain it to people. But I feel like some, there are some trans people or just people in general, black people even, just just have black people who don't feel like trying to explain everything to you every single fucking second of every fucking day. Like you have the power and the and and the privilege if you have a phone or technology or whatever to access these things. Do so. Listen to our stories in that kind of way. But of course, that would take an introspective person to be able to do that and I don't think we teach people to be introspective very much in the world you know that's very true that's very true but i want to thank you on sharing that and we're going to come back to it because we're going to get your backstory because now i'm so i'm like fully invested this is like the beginning of the book when it was just like oh now i gotta see where where we go like i that was like the first two, two three pages of the chapter and now i'm just like now i gotta find out how we got here god damn it like it's very that but before we do that um i do want to definitely ask um since you've obviously been in this transition for quite a bit of time now and everything like that, I wanted to know how you define black masculinity. Okay. Um, 
think black masculinity is on a spectrum because mm-hmm. of intersectionalities. Um, I don't think there's one definition of what masculinity is. Uh, I think that it's a stereotype what black masculinity is, but everyday life, we don't see that. Mm-hmm. that in our families, we don't see that in our interactions with our neighbors or the people in our community. A lot of times, um, they say like black men don't love or black men mm. don't know how to show love. And all growing up, all the men in my family have shown me a great role model of what men are, mm-hmm. what women are, what caring men are. And even in their mistakes and their faults, they've always shown me a better way of doing things. Mm. And I think I try to instill that in myself. And it's just the communication with other black men. Black men, we hold each other to a certain standard, but some of those things are toxic. Mm. And I think that because we have more queer and trans people in the black community, I think we're re- we are redefining what black masculinity is. Mm-hmm. Showing up, even when we don't have to uh, out ourselves or people have to know, or even people see us in our own, you know, identity, mm-hmm. gender expression, there's still masculinity. You still see a masculine man at the end of the day. And all that is, is giving someone respect. Mm-hmm. Respect for how they want to express their masculinity. It's not a, a cookie box. I, I always say black people and trans people are not monolithic people we're not all the same so Mm -hmm. it can never be straightforward when you're talking about a group of people because everybody's experiences is different so masculinity means different things to different people and the way they express it they're they're in their right to express it that way as long as it's not harming anyone else Mm. Mm, mm, mm. okay you came on here to preach okay (laughs) thank uh, thank you i I I love the different answers I get from black men about what they perceive masculinity is. And, you know, as someone who's never really genuinely exhibited masculinity, I'm always curious about how people (laughs) interact with it and think about it. And Mm -hmm. I I always like to think to myself that blackness already in and of itself is inherently more masculine, just as how everything's been illustrated and painted in society, of course. Um, but then of course the extra caveat of being like, oh yeah, black and masculinity. So it's like, you are the, the most hardest, most, most, Mm. most straight up and down. Like the, uh, your face has to be so flat and so boring and so generic. There's, there's a lack of expression. It's very just gray. It's flat. And so... I, I like to think, and this is just my own personal opinion, is that bec- I think that a lot of black men, specifically cis-het black men, um, haven't been uh, afforded to see different things in different people in their capacity as black men. They've only had this one frame of reference because that's how it's been portrayed for you know years and decades and shit at this point. So they only have one frame of reference. So that's all they do is just go like, well, if you're not this, then you're outside of this, and then subsequently that inherently makes you less than to them in some capacity. So it's yeah. like, 
I used to even just ask myself simple questions like, how do black men make friends? Like, how do y'all ask for numbers and stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, if everything is so sus, if everything is so, like, uh, no homo, like, all that kind of shit. Like, if mm-hmm. everything is bad, like, how do y'all even communicate? How do y'all build relationships? How do y'all build bonds? And then most of the time, it's, like, over a other kind of oppressive situations over mm-hmm. women and, you know, how much money he got versus da 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 and all this kind of stuff. So it's just a, a constant battle of hierarchy that no one's ever going to win. Basically. So that's 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 my brain. I'm just like, y'all just playing a game with yourselves. <laughs> and no, no one else is invested in your game except for y'all. And y'all want everybody to play and no one else is invested. And we all just like, okay, well, when y'all finish playing y'all game with each other... <laughs> Right. We're going to be over here moving things forward. And I think literally that idea of we're going to move things forward and that's inherently a man's position to move things forward and lead things. They just mm-hmm. be like, oh, you can't do that. Anyway, I'm going to get into a whole rant. But that's basically my, okay. my premise is the, is, the, okay. is the jealousy in between those two ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad you agree and you can fully disagree if you want to. <laughs> but um, we will um, take a small break and we're going to dive right into your black history, your black story, just in time for Black History Month. I think when this episode comes out, it might be almost Black History Month, if not. <laughs> so we will be right back after this small, tiny break. Yay! Oh. Okay, we are back, and we, of course, have Brendan Watts, Executive Director of Trans People of Color Coalition, and we've been chit-chit-chit-chit-chatting, and now we're going to get into some of the backstory. So, let's rewind it back to the day, back in the day. Um, Can you tell us about your history work, where you were born, where you grew up, your family dynamic, all that stuff, that's paramount in like developing a person so i think that's always important when i do these interviews to find out how people came about and all that kind of stuff so care to share okay um i was born in baltimore maryland uh where i currently live again (laughs) i was raised by my grandmother and my aunts and uncles my mom passed away when i was four Mm -hmm. And my grandmother adopted me and she raised me. I went to private school all the way up to high school. Then I went to a college prep engineers high school. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm the young, I grew up as an only child. Mm. I'm the youngest on my father's side. And fun fact, <laughs> me and my brother are nine months apart. I think that's so funny. So we're the same age from April to September. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That worked out nicely, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. And um, he's gay. And we always laugh. We were like, we should have switched <laughs> in life. <laughs> so we always find that hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's wow. And I love how I love how simple and concise it was. Like this is what happened. This is what you're not like. You're you're not like me at all. Like okay, so picture it's back in this hospital and didn't like I'm like that. Um, I'm I so first we want to say I'm sorry for the loss of your mother. Um, I know it's been quite a bit of time, evidently, but I I, uh, I can understand what the gravity of that feeling must be like, even as an adult to today. So um, I want to send my condolences for that still. 
Thank you. Um, so I do want to ask in this environment, I, I was kind of air quotes raised by my grandmother, like when I was a child. And <laughs> if your grandmother is like my grandmother, she didn't have time for the shit. She ain't had time for it. So I'm not going to say that's how your grandmother was. But <laughs> what was it like being in a space where it's like, you know, not only is it kind of like this much older woman like raising you, but it's like this huge, it's like these huge generations in between or these huge years. So what was that experience like? Um, it was a culture shock mm. for me, for the both of us, to be honest, mm -hmm. because she didn't know, especially when I got to like my teenage years, she was dumbfounded, you know, like, I don't know how to deal with this new generation. Mm. Uh, <laughs> one time I came home from high school, uh, uh, she was like, what do you want, that LSD? <laughs> In my mind, I was like, who takes LSD? Right. Teenager, I'm like, who takes LSD? Like, you're that out of it. Mm. <laughs> my aunt actually... Because she was my mom's sister, mm -hmm. my kind of just like took me on, and she was a queer woman. Mm. So I always had like a queer, her and my godmom were both uh, queer women. Mm. So I always had that like protection around me, mm -hmm. but my aunt was like the, the gatekeeper, the kind of like the peacemaker between me and my grandmother because it was so much friction. Mm -hmm a lot of friction and it got to a point where I would it was hard for me to talk to my grandmother for a long time especially coming out the first time as a queer person and then coming out as a trans person and to this extent I had to cut them off mm -hmm. for them to take me serious in my transition mm -hmm. I had to put those boundaries up because it was driving me crazy. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, I can do myself justice and just not talk to anyone. And when you're ready to address me as I want to be addressed, then we can have conversations. And my aunt was the first one that kind of just got in the rhythm of it. And then she would be the one who would explain things to my grandmother. Mm so my grandmother could better get it. So at a point, I had to tell my grandmother in public when I started like passing more, it was just like, oh, you can't keep these slip ups in public because you're going to look crazy. Because right? <laughs> right. they look at me, and I was looking at them like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this lady's talking about. <laughs> no, I, I... They would think you're crazy. So... Oh, I, I love that. Trust me, because it's just like, be like, oh, that's what he said. And I'll be looking around and be like, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, me? Oh, no, I, I don't I don't know, baby. I love to play that game because people love to just be like, I'm like, and then I, besides just wanting to play the game and just fuck with people. <laughs> right. the, the real thing is like the safety about it, because mm -hmm. it takes half a second for someone to be like, Put some puzzle pieces together mm. and then all of a sudden it's like we can fully do and say whatever we want to you now because mm. who's gonna here is gonna defend you at this yeah. point so i don't think that a lot of cishet people have that thing in their brain i think a lot of times and these are my 
my favorite Twitter arguments is like, why are y'all always attacking us? And they're like, well, y'all just need to just stop. I'm just like, stop what? Existing? Like, just, just, just say that. And they're like, no, we don't want y'all to stop existing. We just want y'all to just tone it down and just stop being y'all selves. I'm just like, so y'all want us to stop existing? Right, right. But you sound like a bitch when you say that. Work. Okay. Continue. <laughs> you, you can go ahead. <laughs> oh, so I was just going to say, so I had to tell my grandmother to come up with a nickname. Mm. She could call me. I was like, you don't have to call me a name. You don't have to use pronouns, nothing. Just call me whatever you feel comfortable. So she came up with boo. Aww. So me boo. Everybody in my family calls me Boo now because of her. Um, but honestly, my grandmother, except for my transition, helped the rest of my family because I come from a really Southern family, Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. And they all, <laughs> I'm not going to say where they're from, well, my whole family, like North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I'm the first one born in Baltimore. So, mm-hmm. It's a cultural difference because I grew up with the same morals and values as them, but I was living in Baltimore City. Right. I experienced more different things than they had mm-hmm. in their sheltered Southern life. So when they see my grandmother of all people, <laughs> like the oldest member of the family respecting me, you know, and, you know, she knows they correct themselves. Everybody mm-hmm. correct themselves. Even my cousins, my, some of my cousins just call me cousin. I'm fine with that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm cool. Everybody has, all my friends, I have so many names <laughs> because mm-hmm. everybody gives me their own type of nickname mm-hmm. that it's just like, I'm comfortable with it because that's them accepting it. Mm-hmm. They still can say Brendan and they do say Brendan, you know? But I appreciate them going out of their way and creating a name. Like, Benjamin is actually my nickname. And Benji is my nickname to my nickname. Work. Call me Benjamin or Benji. And some people actually think that's my name. (laughs) Me! (laughs) (laughs) I, I, so, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that because I think, um... The, the the gravity of the name I and this is just this is no tea it's no shade to like like trans white people or non-black trans people but they seem to be very hell-bent on that conversation still it's like they won't say the right name and the right pronouns and it starts off that way I think for a lot of us but eventually we kind of just especially black people we just be like all right, girl, you gonna get it or not? Or you gonna, right, or, right. You, or you gonna figure it? You gonna figure something out? Da 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 da. Cause like my granny does the same thing. She's eighty and she's just like, okay, sweetie pie. I'm just like, fine. That's mm-hmm. if you wanna do that, do that, girl. That's that's cute. That's that's perfectly mm-hmm. okay. I'm like anybody from a can of paint that I don't know. No, we're not playing that game because you don't have right. that. I I you don't have that grace and that privilege. I didn't extend that to you. You know, mm-hmm. if I extend it to you, if you're a friend that I used to know that I'm comfortable with, I'll let you kind of roll with it. Or if you're a family member that we cool with, I'm going to let you kind of roll with it. Mm-hmm. However, comma, that's for every individual trans person to talk about and for mm-hmm. them to set those own personal boundaries that you that you mentioned a moment ago. And I think um, last year, uh, my co-host, shout out to Mikey. I didn't even shout out my co-host. <laughs> 
<laughs> Shout out to Bab. Uh, we talked a lot last year about boundaries. Just making sure you try to set those parameters with people, especially just like, you know what? I don't need that. And I think when you start telling people like, no, I don't need that, they'd be like, what? You don't need me? I'm like, no, I just don't need that negative energy. I don't want mm-hmm. to have to think about all that kind of stuff about in your presence. I just want to literally relax. Mm-hmm. Because if you start saying the wrong pronouns, if you if you misgender, if you dead name and all that kind of stuff, all that's gonna happen is the record's gonna scratch and everyone's gonna look at you. And that's I don't want right. that. I just I just want to chill. I just want to be cute and comfortable. <laughs> so I, I I'm so happy that you know you kind of moved in and changed in through all those situations and. Um, I would love to hear about the um, <laughs> the shenanigans, if there are any, about you um, coming out as your previous identity as a queer person, and then you know how that looked compared to coming out as a trans person. Because I have my own personal stories, but I like to hear how yours went, especially as an AFAP person. I would love to hear that. Okay. Um, well, my first coming out was around twelve. I was going to a Christian school Ooh. and first problem right now. <laughs> right. I had a, a diary and I let my friends read it. And it was talking about me being bisexual and all that stuff. So <laughs> someone left the book in the classroom. Uh, of course. And it got to the principal's office. I didn't even know until my grandmother was sitting in the principal's office and they gave me, uh, I remember this so clear. Like they sat me down and they was just like, you know, some people confuse love for the same gender as just loving someone. And I was like, okay, but no, no, I'm loving this person. And they were just like trying to convince me and they suggested therapy. And my grandmother put me in therapy from 12 to 17. Yeah, it's a long journey. But the whole time, we never talked about sexuality because I had a really cool therapist. I had a lot of anger management issues because me and my grandmother didn't get along. I was holding in a lot of stuff from that and then once she kind of figured out my sexuality it was always someone is influencing me the people i hang around she's questioning any woman or girl that i was talking to or friends with because she was like oh is that person there influence you to be like that i'm like i'm the <laughs> I'm the bad I'm, one. You're missing the point. I'm right, the bad friend. Right. People's parents are saying I'm the one <laughs> that is the bad influence on their child. <laughs> and it was just like mind boggling. So when I started transitioning and I came out, my aunt who's queer, she was like, Why can't you just be a butch lesbian? And all my queer friends said that for real. Mm-hmm. They was you just could be just like a really bush lesbian. Why do you have to be a man? And they just was like putting all these things in my head. And I'm just like, no, no, I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just stepped out on faith and did it. Mm-hmm. I did it. Because it was just like, I am I felt like at 24, I had did everything my family wanted to do, wanted me to do. 
And I was just like, I'm always living for someone else. Mm. I'm not enjoying myself. So when I started transitioning, it was just like, I don't know. It was like taking drugs for a second. Like, just explode. Like, it, every, every... where this person been this whole time? Where this confidence been this whole time? Mm-hmm. Weird. Like, even people now will say, I've dated people as both genders. So mm-hmm. I have this on both. Like, we dated before I transitioned and we tried again afterwards. Mm-hmm. They tell me how different my demeanor is. Uh, I don't have a, a high tolerance for a lot of nonsense. I don't. I'm very firm on, you know, where I stand with things. And it's not about being masculine. It's just I had to create boundaries to protect myself mm-hmm. in my transition. So when I didn't want to experience things, you get blocked. Mm-hmm. Across this line, I've told you my boundaries. People be so surprised, like, oh, I can't believe you <laughs> Like, yeah, I said, don't cross the line. <laughs> like, I'm not that person anymore that you could, like, because I was so unsure of myself mm-hmm. before transitioning. So I just wanted to fit into something. Mm-hmm. Never felt like I was a lesbian. I never, you know, girls used to be like, you're like dating a boy. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, because I'm so disconnected. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't get it. I'm okay. You know, I'm just chilling. Right. In my I, own world. I, I appreciate you saying that. It's, <laughs> I think it's the, the, the thing you talk about it being 24 when the, when you start to go, I'm going to start making these steps. Mm-hmm. And even like, it's like that first, like that first Google search. I don't know if you was like that, that first Google search and you're just like mm-hmm. holding your breath and you just like, am I really thinking about like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like 24, 25, 26 when all that kind of stuff starts happening. You don't you don't mm-hmm. live the child life, you live the young adult and now you're like, okay, what am I really doing? Mm-hmm. Who am I doing this for? Who am I? How do I want these things to show up and X, Y, and Z and all that carrying on? All those mm-hmm. things start to come into consideration and everyone else's feelings about the matter becomes less valuable it becomes null and void it's not trying to be shady like like if you don't support me hit it but it's like i'm not gonna let you be in my way anymore <laughs> so i think people like we, you mentioned and we talked about the boundaries just a second ago you know if you can if you trying to be in the way if you want to step across the line or whatever and you get the backlash from it you're gonna have to say okay i didn't listen to what they told me I'm going to have to face those consequences. And people do not like consequences. Let me tell you that. They don't. So they don't. I, I appreciate you telling me all of that. And one thing I do want to ask specifically is because you were like, your friends were like, oh, you should just stay a butch lesbian. In yeah. my own personal work that I do and the, in the conversations that I have, a lot of, I, I guess uh, a lot of uh, AFAM, you know, people specific, specifically like lesbians will often tell a lot of trans masculine people, don't transition, like just be masculine, but don't transition because it's like, I guess this, you lose the power of womanhood. <laughs> Maybe you can explain or talk a little bit more about that because I've never had that experience. Um, from my perspective, it was uh, kind of like a betrayal mm. because I think 
in the lesbian world, women fight so much to have their womanhood still acknowledged in their masculinity. So I think, I don't, I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but sometimes it seems like a cop-out mm-hmm. to transition and just blend into society as they see it. Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, no one's going to want to date you because lesbians are not going to want you and then straight women are not going to want you. Mm-hmm. And in my whole dating experience with anyone on any spectrum, I just showed up as my true self and that's the person they were attracted to. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I was trans was just a second thought. But it's just like, uh, yeah, I think well, a lot of my friends felt like I was just going to be like this cis male, mm-hmm. going to go to the dark side, <laughs> like bashing lesbians or something. I don't know like their mindset and I was just like I'm the same person it was weird for me because I couldn't go to I would go to gay clubs with them mm-hmm. and just be standing on the wall because no girls are not going to talk to me because they don't know I'm trans mm-hmm. and I'm like advertising in a gay club but you know it's just like I respected my friends and I love them enough that I, I I'll always go out with them mm-hmm. and if I'm not even having fun, I just enjoy being around my friends at that moment. And it's it took it was a struggle with a lot of my friends. A lot of my friends were so anti it because in a way it was like, how could you go to something that people always try to say that we are mm-hmm. portray? Mm-hmm. And then on the opposite side, a lot of people see trans men as just butch lesbians. Mm. So it's just like a catch 22 is like this side doesn't accept you or don't want to understand what gen what your gender expression is. Mm-hmm. Your gender expression is moving more towards your gender identity. Cause I always dress masculine. So that was my gender expression. Mm-hmm. I transitioned my whole identity. Mm-hmm. as a masculine person altogether. Mm-hmm. I think they had that disconnect. And I think because I'm I'm a trans male, I understand and sympathize with women more. Mm-hmm. Because I do know how it feels to be a black trans, well, a black lesbian at mm-hmm. one point. So I understand social uncomfort, like social discomfort about how people perceive you in public. Now I don't have those perceptions also. So it's, it, I, it takes me a minute to sympathize. Right. It's because that world is different for me now. Mm-hmm. And I think my friends see that, but I think they see that my comfort of still being around them. Mm-hmm. It's okay now too. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you sharing. And this is, again, an experience that neither my co-host or co-host co-host or myself have so I love being able to hear about these things and I always tend to hear like you talked about the betrayal I think the idea um, what I've heard a lot is 
that, you know, obviously we live in a patriarchal system, so it's kind of like mm. men have been mean to you your entire existence. They've told you what to do, how to do, and it's just been trickled down and reinforced through your grandmother, through your aunties, and just and it's gone to this place. And so even as like a stud or a masculine lesbian or, or, or a butch woman or whatever the case may be, it's kind of like, great, you made it to the, like, I guess, the precipice. Like, you made it all the way there. You didn't cross the line, but you made it there. You're, you're air quotes, somewhat comparable to, you know, the lowest hanging men or whatever the case may be. This is what I'm, analysis and just what I've thought about. And so... Now it's like you didn't cross the threshold though, but of course, once you're just like, no, I I'm I want to this is the side I want to move on. And then if anything, I feel like if once we have more transmasculine people on the mask on the men's side, air quotes, like you mentioned, you have a better connection to the women that you were in community with. And so I think I like the idea of being able to say, no, I'm going to move through this and, and escalate, you know, since I'm going to start benefiting from the system, I might as well start making sure I'm reaching back and saying, like, this is this, this is this. And, you know, gathering people together, so to speak, and uh, mm-hmm. correcting folks and doing all that kind of stuff. And you talked about that in, in when you were talking oh, when at the very beginning, we we're talking about working in the prison and everything like that. So it sounds like you're doing exactly what needs to be done in order to clarify not only what trans people are, who we are, but also about the queer community at large. Because I feel like um, from all the interviews I've done and stuff like that, a lot of the AFAB people who are either tr- uh, trans men or um, studs or butch lesbians or whatever the case may be, they, they are always like men are always trying them regardless. It's just like, so I, I always just thinking about that kind of stuff and I, I just really appreciate you having that conversation with me. So I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to take one more small break and then we're going to actually talk about the organization and probably how you moved <laughs> from doing the prison kind of work. So I'm really interested in how we got there <laughs> to like to the organization and everything like that. So one more small break and we will be right back. Okay, we are back for the final section with Brendan Watts. So at the very beginning, talked about this prison and this work that you did in the prison. So I wanted I wanna know, did that come before you um were working with um Tpoc or is that during or after? So can you talk about how that kind of all went around? Okay, um yeah, I started working in the prison system in 2008. So um, from 2008 to 2011, that was in my previous gender. Mm-hmm. So once I started transitioning, uh, I started volunteering with uh, TPOC, and I became a community organizer and worked my way up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on, the things I was learning in TPOC, I would apply in the jail. Okay. 
I'm I'm very curious because you said that you were in a men's prison, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and this was before yes. your transition. So were they trying you? I just really need to know. Like, were they trying you? Not not in a sexual way, but just literally trying you to like I guess to test to see how air quotes strong or how masculine or how manly and all that kind of shit. Yeah, and I'm not like uber masculine. I'm the jokey kind of just like. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so it was just like they just knew I was quirky. Some people knew me from my neighborhood. Some people were my family members. So I kind of got that status. And also, I'm I'm more educated than a lot of people expect me to be. Mm-hmm. Once they figure a lot of things out. I'm not street smart, but I know how to strategize mm. and outsmart me. So I had to always be ahead of the game. I would joke around with them, play around with them, but they knew why I was serious also at the end of the day. Mm. But it was my demeanor more so that they respected. And yeah, of course, a couple of people would try it. But other people that had already tried it, they sitting back just waiting for them to get embarrassed. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not I, I I'm not there at the end of the day. Mm. I, at the end of the day, I'm not there. So I can sympathize with them and my compassion in a masculine way still, but it was compassion towards their situation. Mm-hmm. I understood what they were going through. You know, I'm watching my own family members go through the system and being in that system, and I know how that feels. So it's just the respect and the rapport that you you uh, build mm-hmm. as a person. So even when I transition, some people even played, but a lot of people respect it. A lot of people started, you know, to understand it. They didn't get it because... As we say, black people never heard of this thing. Right. I, well, they a lot of people understand trans women, but a lot of black people never experienced trans men. So I'm a lot of people's first trans masculine experience. So in that atmosphere, I just had to not put on a facade or anything, but I had to man up in a sense mm-hmm. if that makes sense because it is a tough environment it's, it's intimidating mm-hmm. uh, for a woman or a man so it's just like you just gotta grow up and you gotta just like you're, you gotta use your fear I have a tattoo that says my my fear is only my carriage oh. so I just take it as like my my fear is what pushed me to be more courageous in situations that were scary mm. or where someone would test it and it put me in a dangerous situation. But I had to, like, not show that fear and kind of just stand firm. And they knew they couldn't catch me off my uh catch me off guard in a sense Mm -hmm. 
So it's it's all about your demeanor and how you carry yourself, no matter what gender. I tell people that all the time. I think gender, gender, I tell people all the time, gender is just a social concept. That's all it is. It changes with society. As society changes, gender changes. We have different pronouns. Pronouns are growing. Different genders are growing. Mm -hmm. The whole point of evolving as people. So that's what the social aspect of it is. But you are your core person at the end of the day, no matter what, no matter how you want to express yourself. Mm. Like, just have to be a core person. Say that. Say that. Yeah, and I I think that, you know, <laughs> the lovely rudimentary education of eighth grade, ninth grade biology has like a chokehold on people. They're mm-hmm. like, you can't change your sex. And I'm like, yeah, try as I might. I, I can't. <laughs> try as I might. I, I, I know. And, um, you know, we're very much aware, but, you know, those are the same people who don't know about intersex people. So that mm-hmm. just that just goes to show, like, okay, you don't even you, you have a fraction of a piece of a maybe of something to go off mm-hmm. of, and you're just gonna use that like that's science. More so than that, those are also the people who are being like, I don't want to take the vaccine because that's science, and I'm just like, ugh. Right. I'm like, which one is it gonna be, girl? You believe the science or don't you? Which one is it gonna be, girl? Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> but um. I, I wanted to know, I, I didn't know if you still worked in the prison system, do you? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I was just like, I didn't know if you were still there. I was going to be like, bless your heart. Um, I did it for nine years, though. I did it for nine years, and then I quit. And I just, I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I applaud you. That's all I'm going to say. It's just like, I applaud you and the work that you did while you were in there and trying to help those people um, understand various different kind of things. I think that's so important. And in real life, that's kind of, you know, in, in, in so many terrible words, it's almost similar to school. It's like, here, let's learn some stuff in these isolated chambers together. <laughs> so it's right. like, it's basically like what they're accustomed to. So they're probably used to learning and, and a lot more receptive and open because in real life, a lot of folks who are probably in that system are like, well, this is kind of like where I'm going to be for a while. This is going to be the end or whatever the case may be. So they're a lot more open and receptive, I would say, to listening to what you may have to say as opposed to before when they, you know, when they have a whole bunch of people on the outside telling them how they should feel, particularly, you know, how we talked about how men just perform for each other, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they have all that hey, going on. Go ahead. And, no, I agree. Um, and most of my years, I actually, uh, I worked in a, in a city jail. So we had juveniles that if they were charged as adults, they would come to our jail. Oh. And to, uh, watch the, the segregation, the juveniles that had like disciplinary issues and stuff like that. And even I sat down with juveniles and these are young teenage boys and they they seem hard on the outside, but they're just curious, they're vulnerable. And I would just sit, they would be like, well, we won't act up as long as you sit and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Sit there and talk to them about life stuff, you know, hear about what they say. You know, sometimes they would ask me, was I trans or not, and stuff like that. And I'd be like, I'll, I'll brush it off, or I would really talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. 
it's just the the opportunities that we have sometimes sometimes you just gotta take those moments mm-hmm. and you never know how much it impacts people or how much they'll take that information and respect the next person they meet mm-hmm. bury that and they know that bury that and i appreciate you doing that and i wanted to ask more than mm-hmm. likely you probably already seen it but What's uh, the name of the documentary? Is like f- feminism on cell block Y. I don't know if no, I haven't seen it. You've never seen that before. Okay, no. I'm gonna put that in the description for everyone who's interested. But it's basically uh, a group of incarcerated. It's in, like an organization, um, and I'll put the link to that too. But it's like these group of men who are reading bell hooks and learning more about feminism and how you know, the, the, the ideology of what masculinity is and stuff like that. And it puts in perspective for them how they have been behaving because other people, specifically men, have been telling them how to behave and all that kind of carrying on. And it helps them further appreciate how they treat and talk and interact with women, and specifically women. But also that would, of course, branch out to LGBTIA plus people. So um, that's what it is. Um, it's a beautiful documentary, very well done. It's very, you know, very, you know, for the men who want to be expressive in the, in the documentary, they let that happen. But for the most part, a lot of them are kind of tight lipped and kind of like, you're making this box that I'm in seem so small and I'm not doing anything on the outside. I'm just like, yeah, that's what you've been trained to believe masculinity is. And it's just like this little jail cell that you are figuratively in right now. And now that you're in a prison, it's literally the little jail cell that you're in. So, um, they, you know, they organize it and create themselves. So it kind of, when you're talking about what you do, it made me immediately think of that documentary and how it teaches men about intersectionality, about feminism, about, you know, all those kind of things that we talk about here on this podcast several times and also what you do um, at TPOC. So um, you talked about TPOC and I'm going to see that segue. See, that was a beautiful segue. Uh, <laughs> um, so at TPOC, um, the trans, uh, trans uh, people of color, I always say this wrong, coalition. I'm going to keep saying that wrong because my brain doesn't let the words flow. Anyway, it's, fine, it's, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, I read that, of course, you started off on the website, in the website, you started off volunteering and then you kind of worked your way up. So what kind of volunteering experiences, um, did you kind of have that made you go like, I want to do more of this. And then I uh, wanted you to move up to the, where you are now. Okay. Um, well, the founder, Kyler Broadus, um, he kind of, I just started working under him, volunteering. Sometimes I would just go to uh, conferences and do, like, tabling for TPOC and stuff like that, or go into, like, action rallies and, you know, just have a presence there, uh, get the word out. And then as the organization changed, I became, like, more of a community organizer. Mm-hmm. It just became me and Collar at the time. So we would go out and um, I did a, a gender and sexuality class at Morgan State University. Uh, I did a panel discussion for a couple of years about like trans one-on-one. Mm. And other trans people in Baltimore City and we were sitting in front of their uh, gender and sexuality class and they got to learn 
about trans people interacting with black trans people. So that was a good thing to be at an HBCU. Mm. My school at the time that I graduated from, it was it was a good experience to be able to transition while at school and then be able to talk to students about my trans experience mm. and other people's trans experience and them to know that you don't even know that you're walking past a trans person on campus. And, you know, all these experiences and all these interactions you're having with people and you never know who's who. So that was a great experience for me. Um, also lobbying. Mm -hmm. I learned how to lobby with politicians about trans rights and trans laws. Uh, I worked on the end of law with Kyler because he was one of the writers of the end of bill. Mm -hmm. I got to learn policy work. I got to learn how to talk to politicians, how to talk to politicians about bringing up or proposing bills that benefits LGBTQ folks and minority, uh, you know, minority communities mm -hmm. because we are the biggest targets at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. We're targeting our own community. And then when we go outside of our community, we're also a target right. just by the color of our skin. So it's just like we need some interpersonal skills to bridge gaps in our own communities where we can safely walk down the street and not fear anything happening to us mm -hmm. that we're in our own community and we're safe. So that's what the type of policies and stuff we were working on. Um, also, we would just do workshops most of the time. I host different workshops at different conferences. Uh, one is uh, a masculinity, kind of like a self-image masculinity workshop. Mm. It's uh, how I see me. And it just talks about what these perceptions are that us as masculine people of color take on when we transition into these different societies and how stereotypes are placed on us. If, if we don't match those stereotypes, sometimes we feel like we're being outed or people want to think we're moving weird mm. and we're not blending in with the, the social, the normal, the social status quo. Mm -hmm. Like we're not, just marching in line, basically, right. to the system. So in that aspect, I lost my train of thought, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. It'll, it'll, it'll... Uh, okay. No, it's out there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the moral story is like, yeah, I do, um, I've presented a lot of different workshops. Over the years, I've done different types of workshops in a university setting, town halls, speaking on different uh, issues that uh, affect trans masculine people. Mm -hmm. Definitely trans women of color being that voice because us as trans masculine people should be the voice for trans women also and creating that space for trans women to have their own voice, but also stand up for trans women in spaces where they don't have a voice. Mm. Praise them. Thank you. It's okay that you lost your train of thought. Your kittens in the background sound so adorable. I know, yeah, my kittens are... And I know they're just like, talk to me! Look at me! 
and you're just, <laughs> you're just like just a little more time. So, but um, thank you, thank you for saying all that. And I um, I always want to make sure I show gratitude to transmasculine folks who are, you know, in so many words, visible and open. Because I know a lot of transmasculine folks could really just like a you know a few months to a year on some testosterone, some tea, they can. Shoo, they could go stealth, baby, and they would just, like you said, like you was talking about how, you know, just you're walking past people, you don't even know that they're trans. They could just mm-hmm. be a, a shorter man, or even in some cases when they're tall transmasculine people, you wouldn't even know. So mm-hmm. it's it's like, like they just get that privilege of being more stealth in that way, you all specifically. But, you know, I really take, I love that you taking like this, no, I can make these steps forward and I can put myself in, in front because that's what air quotes men are supposed to do and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But I also think that the um, the glorification and the objectification of trans women is just so much, has so much more gravity, you know? The, 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 the womanhood aspect is always just so much more alluring, the magic of it. You know, and that's why people are so enamored by drag race because it's just like, especially the early seasons where it's like these men turn right into women. Like everyone loves that magic. Yeah. No one wants to see like women turn into men because they're just like, oh, okay, shoulder shrug. You know. So right. Right. That magical <laughs> mystique isn't doesn't have as much gravity as it were. So, um, you know, I really t- I really appreciate you just saying like, no, I'm going to stand in front and I'm going to make sure I say something. So I think as of recording this, there's been three reported deaths already or murders of, of other trans women, black trans women specifically. So it's yeah. been three weeks of January, barely, and there's already three girls. It's like, yep, I'm just like, all right, it's, it's just steadily on the rise. And so... um I always want to let people be completely aware that I have an immense amount of privilege that I try to use, <laughs> try to try to help people so they can understand. Like, you know, a lot of these, a lot of folks, particularly trans women and also trans masculine folks that are living in areas where they don't have access and don't have the privilege in order to do what they need to do in order to have a successful transition or just live and move down the street in a happy life. Those are the people that we need to be focusing on and helping. Because they can't even begin to exist in the way that they feel the most comfortable and be the most happy. So, again, I think the work that you're doing is beautiful and amazing. And I would love to be on a panel if you would have me one day. Uh, definitely. Yay! That's me putting my beard here right there. I'm good. I'll do it. So, yeah, I, I love all that work that you are doing. Um, and, and I always tell people that. Everyone has a different part in this program. You know, yours can be very much in, you know, lobbying and um, and going out to rallies. I'm not the go out to rally kind of girl. I don't, (laughs) people, that that large amount of people, that's a lot of work. And and it scares me and overwhelms me personally. But there are other, yeah. And so I, I think everyone has different places and different roles in doing different things. And this is how I choose to do it. So and you do it in the way that you see fit. And so um, there is a, there's a great level of opportunity in different ways you can also get involved in that kind of stuff. So are people able to volunteer at TPOC and work with you all? Yes, definitely. Uh, we're actually a volunteer-based organization that has been for the past 10 years. Uh, the best way to contact us is on our Facebook page, we also have a website, 
and Instagram and Twitter. And it's all trans P-O-C-C. Trans P-O-C-C. Trans People of Color Coalition. I said it right. Yes. Yes. Oh, Jesus, right. Okay. <laughs> just, yeah, I'm so just used to saying TPOC. But yes, I will put those links in the description so people can reach out to y'all and be like, how can we get involved? Is it is it strictly in Baltimore? Is it, or is it all? No, it's, uh, we're uh, a national organization. I'm just located in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I partner with other organizations out there. Um, I part we do partnerships all the time with different organizations, and that's the way I try to when people do reach out for information in those little towns or want to find something local. I find someone that we already have connections with, and hey, do you know how this person get resources? Can I send this person to you? Mm-hmm. And, resources in that area because uh my biggest goal for tpoc is uh to move the trans community out of survival mode to sustainability of how to how for us to sustain livelihood sustain housing income revenue economic status mm. world and capitalism how can we survive in all of that and networking and building and you know connecting people it's not about i'm gonna hold all these people to myself right. oh you gotta share the resources that's how we grow mm-hmm. that's crazy i'm no better in an organization if another organization can't organization can't grow also and also future leaders future young trans people that you know have the I'm, I'm older now, so the younger people have that drive and have new ideas and have ideas about sustainability. Mm-hmm. My, well, I'm also an engineer on the side. Well, my basic job mm-hmm. is it. But I think about survival and sustainability because we talk about land use mm-hmm. and sustainability, but why won't we talk about livelihoods, Black trans people, being sustainable, surviving, surviving, we've been surviving and just like, it's like we're getting crumbs when you're in survival mode and you're, you'll do anything to get the next crumb. So how do we move our own people? We have creative people. I know doctors, lawyers, you know, different types of backgrounds Mm -hmm. where we can all build together and move trans people into a different atmosphere. Sometimes we just have to do things ourselves. We don't need, I always say, we don't need cis people to lead us. You know, mm-hmm. we have powerful leaders in our own community on a, on social media. Social media is so big. Mm-hmm. Have powerful leaders out there that's hungry and can lead us if we give them the opportunity. Yes, cis people can give us your money. That part. Say that again. (laughs) You can definitely give us your money to support us, but let trans people lead. I've seen so many great ideas go to the wayside because there wasn't a trans voice to back up that idea. And it just got pushed to the side. So I think if we fund ourselves, if we motivate ourselves, and we network with each other, we can build a future for trans people. Hmm. There is a future for trans people. Damn. And we not over everything, just the little things you can do to just make it happen. You know, share a resource, you know, 
share website, share donation sites, whatever you need, you know, mm-hmm. just someone's listening, someone needs it, someone has access to it, you know, so it's just giving the people that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Yes, every, every, every word, every word he said, all that, all that. <laughs> and I always, um, I, I, I always definitely try to let people know that one of the biggest hurdles in society in general under capitalism is just not having access to the money to do things. Mm-hmm. And it's literally like, I don't want to be like, we're begging for money. But the one thing that cis people inherently have more access to is just money. Mm-hmm. And if you just, especially white people, <laughs> if y'all right. if y'all have like two extra dollars laying around or something, you can you can donate it to any of a multitude of different trans-led organizations, black trans mm-hmm. organizations and stuff like that. And, you know, you can make it an automatic monthly payment kind of thing where it just automatically goes. Like, I'm just saying, there's there's ways to go around this. So it'll just be this this out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And you are doing a part monetarily, at least in that regard. But you can also retweet. You can share, like share this this podcast with somebody. Um, uh, the telephone number, all kinds of stuff. People have reached out to this sh- to this show to get help before, and I really appreciate it. But that's literally how those micro things change because a lot of the people in our community, they are literally, like you said, struggling to survive, to make it from one day to the next. So if they're worried about making it from one day to the next, to make it from their house to McDonald's, to go to work, to come back, they're they're not concerned about pronouns right now, girl. Right, they're, right, they're not yeah. concerned about what you call them. They just want to live. And, and then once you get away from I just want to live to sustainability, then we can start being concerned about all that other stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't think they know the gravity of the situation because it's out of sight. It's out of mind. They don't have to think about it. So mm-hmm. I just want to put that in perspective for a lot of folks. Go look at the statistics. Go look at the numbers. Um, please, um, I think that would be super beneficial, but I would love if folks, um, in the, in, um, who listen to our show would, if they would go and they would, you know, uh, find out how they can volunteer and get connected and all that kind of stuff with you. So how can, um, people get connected with, uh, TPOC trans people of color coalition? I'm going to get this right. That doesn't roll off my tongue naturally, but how do they get connected to y'all? <laughs> Okay. Our website is transpocc.org. Uh, Facebook, you can look up Trans People of Color Coalition. That's where most of the uh, you get articles and updates. Uh, we also have an Instagram, which is transpocc, and Twitter is also transpocc. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I'll put that on the bottom, of course, in the description. But if someone wanted to get in contact with you directly, like your Insta, or you feel comfortable sharing that, your Twitter, or you kind of like, mm. Okay. Okay. Well, my Facebook is Benjamin Button. And Hence why I was confused. <laughs> and my, uh, I would have, my Instagram is too long, but it's Cocaine Mr. Awesome. I, well, I will. Yes, that's long. When you send it to me, I will put it down there so people can be like, help me, Brendan. Right. That's cool. 
No Twitter? It's fine. I, Twitter is... Uh, no, I'm not a tw- Twitter type of guy. <sighs> my heart. <laughs> I, Twitter is my life. That is my bread and butter. That's my morning newspaper. That's my... Anyway, I will... <laughs> my Twitter got shut down. Why? What did you... Now see, now I'm nosy. Oh, because I troll politicians sometimes. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. Please. So my, my Twitter got shut down. Good. Okay. It's for great reasons. I'm, I'm very <laughs> much more happy now. I thought it was going to just be like, no, I just don't like Twitter. You were trolling. Good. Yeah, I was trolling. <laughs> Beautiful. And politicians on top of that who really, oh, they so old. I want them to go away. Anyway, I know. Um, but yeah, and even today, that what was that trending? She's thirteen. Like, why is that trending in politics? That doesn't matter right now. It's I get it, but why is it? This has nothing to do with politics. Yeah. Anyway, stupid. <laughs> but um, I really, sincerely, and adamantly want to thank you so much, Brendan, for being on the show. Um, you provided such great wisdom and insight, and dropped some gems for people. And um. I really, really, really do hope that people reach out to you, um, get connected to TPOC. Um, it's beautiful organization. Um, and if you have any opportunities again, you know, or if you want any assistance from me at all, I am always here to be able to assist at any capacity because I'm, again, building community, growing and moving together is crucial, critical. I appreciate that. Of course. And, and any any last words? Uh, I think I said a lot already. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been talking for an hour. You ain't done yet. <laughs> um, so we are going to get out of here, y'all. Thank y'all so much. Um, please go on those descriptions. Leave nice reviews. Five stars on Apple. That would be sickening. Thank you. Um, and we will see y'all on another lovely episode of Black to the Future. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Black to the Future. Yes, thank you for joining us. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black to the Future Podcast. And don't forget to use the hashtag Black to the Future Podcast as well. Share the content and please leave positive reviews. Yeah, hola. <laughs> and we will see y'all in the future. Don't you mean Black to the Future? Oh, I guess you're right. We'll see y'all black to the future. future.